Psalm 51. I don't want to preach this. I don't want to preach this message. I hate this message. I hate the necessity of preaching this message because it deals with a very sad time and a hero of the faith in the life of a real, honest-to-goodness hero of the faith. It's tragic that we have to preach this message. It's tragic that it had to be preached, that it had to come to this. I hate what happened to David as a result to write this mournful song. In fact, some of you, if you have study Bibles, uh, before this psalm, it'll say it's a prayer of repentance, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. It took, uh, he denied, he denied and denied, he, he hid his sin, and it took the prophet of God coming in and pointing his finger at David and saying with great courage, by the way, he's, he's accusing the king, saying to the king, you're the one who sinned, you're the one who's fallen short, you committed adultery, and you're the reason for this awful thing that's happening in, in, the, in the country. So the, what led to this psalm was moral failure. Moral failure exacerbated by the capital crime of murder. Because in attempting to hide the sin of adultery, David actually arranged for, the, for Bathsheba's husband to be killed in battle. He drew up a, a faulty battle plan on purpose, abandoned a brother in arms who was a faithful man. If we had time to go into the story, which we don't right now, you, you need to read that story. He was an incredibly faithful lawyer, loyal guy, to the, not only to the king, but to his fellow warriors because he wouldn't, he wouldn't go to his own home when David summons him to try to cover up his own sin because Bathsheba had conceived. He thought, if I bring her husband in and if I have him spend the night uh, with her, then he won't know any different. He'll think that's his baby. And uh, the man had so much character because his brothers were in the field and, and, and in wartime, he wouldn't even go to his own home that night. And he did it a second night. He refused to go the second night. So moral failure exacerbated by the capital, capital crime of murder. So gentlemen, guys here, fellas here, I know women can be guilty of, of unfaithfulness, but listen to me, guys. The first man who ever lived messed up. The strongest man who ever lived messed up a lot. The wisest man who ever lived messed up morally. So who in the world do you and I think we are if we are so presumptuous as to say, well, that would never happen to me? Okay, this is a perfect illustration, Robert. You caught me this morning. I, I, I walked by the donut table. I, have, I think I've had one donut since I've been here. I walked by the donut table and I looked. Now, that was already the, the bad thing to do. Then I heard this voice saying, go ahead, eat a donut hole. I said to Pat, get thee behind me, Pat. <laughs> and I walked away, but I walked back. And I walked away a second time, and I walked back again. And I said, forget the donut hole. I'm going for the maple bar that's cream filled. That's what I'm doing. So... You know, it's the woman that God gave me. That's, that's my problem, right? That's, that's, she, she led me in that way. Why don't you just have a donut hole? Adam blamed Eve and, and, and Samson. There's so many women in his life. And, and, the, and Solomon, you know, he's the wisest man who ever lived. But my goodness, he had 300 wives and, and six or 700 concubines. It makes me question, the, you know, whether he's really a very smart guy at all. Uh, and, and who do we think we are? Uh, there's an incredible 
a huge percentage of guys, young guys, more and more, older guys, in between guys, involved in pornography because of the ready availability of it. And I'm going to tell you something. It is a trap. It is an absolute, it'll destroy you. It'll destroy your marriage. It'll destroy your heart. It'll destroy your walk with God. You cannot flirt with it. You cannot walk past it like I did with the donuts three times. You, you need not do that. You need, when you see it, you need to turn around and run from it. It can come up on your phone. It can come up on your computer. It can come up on your iPad. It is everywhere. I, I once saw a statistic. I don't remember the number, so I don't want to mislead, but it was over half of the pastors had admitted to being involved in online pornography. So who do we think we are? We need the power of God to protect us and to help us to make sure we don't fall in this way. So does this mean because all these guys have fallen, it's inevitable, we may as well, oh well? Uh, No, not at all. This is a song of penance, and there is a way around this. It's one of seven songs of penitence, and I'm glad he repented, but guys, much better to not have to repent than to do something that causes you to have to repent. And by the way, another whole sermon series is the rest of the story. Paul Harvey used to say the rest of the story. The rest of the story is that the baby died that was conceived, that Tamar was assaulted by one of her other half-brothers, that Amnon, the one who assaulted her, um, was killed by Absalom, and Absalom rose up a rebellion against his own dad and was killed. How much grief do you think that caused David? Do you think for a moment that that little tryst with Bathsheba was worth losing four of his children? Do you think for a minute he ever regretted? I think he did. And, and, and I've said before, if, if we could see the price tag on whatever sin gets us, and it may not be adultery. It may be something else. Maybe drugs, alcohol. Maybe, uh, maybe you know, a couple of people steal things even they don't need them. I don't know what your sin is. I don't know what your besetting sin is, what the overwhelming, compelling thing in your life is. But whatever it is, if we could see the price tag of that sin up front, I will promise you this, you wouldn't participate in it. But the devil dresses it up, makes it look good. The devil makes it look attractive. Satan makes it, the world makes it look like something to be desired. But remember what it cost David. And, and, and again, I don't have time to go into all that, but just some thoughts before we get into the sword would not depart from his house. That was something that was part of the, the, the consequences also. So look at your outline. The plea for forgiveness in verses 1 and 2. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. Have mercy in the Hebrew signifies a plea without any just cause or desert. He had no ground to stand on. There was nothing he he had done to merit his coming before an almighty God and saying, have mercy upon me. It means to to show favor, to be kind of disposed to me. Please show me favor. Overlook this. Be gracious. Have mercy on me. Sometimes was used in an idiomatic way. Uh, For example, have a white heart for me. So what he was saying was, God, have a white heart for me because my heart's dirty. My heart is filthy. My heart is stained. And it's indelibly stained, I'm afraid. But have a white heart for me. Please have mercy on me. Be pained for me. Be in pain for me. That's what Jesus did. He was pained for us. He says, have mercy upon me according to thy multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Literally, on the basis of your love and your mercy, 
And, and mercy is an interesting word. In the, in the Hebrew culture, uh, we talk about the heart. Uh, and the heart being clean, the heart is the seat of emotions for, for in our culture. In the Hebrew culture, and I don't mean to, you know, it, it was the bowels. It's like, you know, I'm glad I didn't have to draw bowels up here, you know, and try to explain all that. Uh, but that's just what they said there, the seat of human emotion was. And, and that's when it's in the plural. When it's in the singular, it means the womb. So the, the, where, the, where the seat of emotion really is. And so he says, on the basis of your love and your mercy, your bowels of compassion for me, uh, your heart, your emotions, then forgive me. Uh, God's mercies, folks, are more numerous than our sins, though they are multiplied time and time again. He, he is infinite, and so is his mercy. Never be afraid to go to God because you failed a dozen times, two dozen times, 50 times, 100 times. Never be afraid to go to God. Never be reticent to go to God to ask for his tender mercies. While we're under Satan's spell, by the way, a thousand sins can seem like one. But when we're in the presence of God, one can seem like a multitude. So therefore, we need a multitude of his tender mercies. He said, blot out my sin. Literally, rub out my sins like I did with the eraser here. Rub them out. Just take, take them away. Uh, and this is an admission of guilt. I have sinned. Blot out my sins. They need blotting out. He was begging God to obliterate the evidence of it. In other words, it's, it's like God, he said, God, I want you to expunge my record. There are people who have criminal records. Maybe they got them in their teen years or, or whatever, and, and because they're sealed and because they, if they do well, then they can go back and have them expunged, and that means blotted out as if they didn't have a record so it doesn't follow them and haunt them forever. And, and what David is saying, Lord, please expunge my record, my debt to you. Blot out my sins. There are three words used in this passage to describe David's failure. He uses, and they're translated three English words, translate, uh, transgressions, iniquity, and sin. Transgressions means disobedience and rebellion. Iniquity means guilt, fault, and misconduct. And sin means missing the mark. If you've ever been involved in archery or shooting or whatever and you miss the target, you miss the mark, that's the idea. You fall short. Just like Olivia said, it's, it's when God has said don't do something, we do it. We miss the mark. We've fallen short. We've rebelled against God. David said, my transgressions, my transgressions, I'm the one at fault, not someone else. Not Bathsheba, I sent for her. Not the servant who I sent to get her, I sent for her. Not, uh, not those who hid my sin, it's my sin before you, God. My transgression, my rebellion, my crooked dealings, my error, my wanderings, my sin. As we think about that this morning, what are your sin? What is your sin? What is your wandering away from God? Where is it that you rebel and bow your neck against God? Where is it that we say no to God when God says yes? He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. The idea of wash me, David was made filthy by his sin. He needed to be cleansed in a way a bath could never, ever cleanse him. The baptistry never, ever washes away sins. He was dirty to the core of his soul. He was stained. And the Hebrew indicates he needed a fuller. And a fuller is an old term for someone who would bleach. You would take laundry in and, and they would have the, the bleaching process so they could get all of the stains out. He was loathsome to his very bones. He says, I need to be bleached clean again. Nothing superficial would do. It wasn't just a, 
cleanse me with a wash rag, wipe away the outer surface dirt. It was God go deep into my innermost being, cleanse me, cleanse my heart from my iniquity, from my sin. Hence, so high a price our Savior had to pay. Sin and guilt, folks, are not casual things. They're treated that way by this world. Oh, it's no big deal. Oh, it's not, yeah, you know, so what? We, we even make fun sometimes. The industry, the entertainment industry makes fun and glorifies a lot of times sin. But it's a loathsome thing. It's a terrible thing. And sin, do you realize that God cannot allow sin to be in his presence? That's why he has to forgive us in order to restore fellowship. So wash and cleanse me, a twofold action. Uh, the washing, again, is the bleaching process. Then to cleanse meant literally to purify. You know, something can be white. This, this whiteboard looks white, looks pretty white. I will guarantee you there, there's bacteria. There are things on this board that we don't know, that we can't see. There are germs and so on. And so what he's saying is wash me, blot out my sins, make me, you know, as if I'm bleached white again, but also Cleanse me, purify me. I don't know about you, but I have to ask God to purify my thoughts because my thoughts are not pure. My thoughts wander. My thoughts sometimes try to take control of who I am, and I need to be cleansed. I need to be washed. I need to be pure in God's sight. Second thing in your outline is, is the proffer of confession, the offer of confession. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. David finally is coming out in the open, admitting his fault. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you might be justified when you speak and be clear when you judge. Behold, I was formed or shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you desire in the inward parts and the hidden part, you shall make me to know wisdom. Okay, knowledge, just simply simply self-confession, humiliation, humbling himself before a holy God, admitting that he's messed up. My sin is ever before me. Conviction and contrition were there all the way. He was troubled by his sin. He was troubled when he went to bed at night. He was troubled when he awoke in the morning. He was troubled as he tried to, to be the ruler of the people because he knew there was something lacking in his own life. There was something terribly detrimental in his own life, and it had not been resolved, and he was not comfortable with it, and it brought with it shame and guilt. But David owned it. He said in these couple of verses here, I, my, mine, against you only have I sinned, all sins against God, open rebellion. And he says, you are just when you judge me. You are absolutely just, Lord, when you judge me. Behold, I was formed. I was knit together in my mother's womb. I already was, was a sinful, a sinful person. In sin nature did my mother conceive me. And that's not the idea of sex being sinful. It's not the idea of conception being sinful. It's the idea that in his DNA, when he was formed in his mother's womb, he already had the seeds of sin because we're all born sinners. You desire truth in inward parts. You desire honesty from the womb. And in the hidden part, you shall make me to know wisdom, God's truth. Through God's truth, we know real wisdom. Through, through forgiveness, confession to God, making things right, we become wise. Number three is the prayer for cleansing. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And what he's saying is here, I want you to take this branch that was used on the Day of Atonement 
and it was dipped in the blood of the lamb, the Paschal lamb on the Day of Atonement, and was sprinkled on, uh, the, on the, the, the first Passover on the doorposts and door lentils, and you sprinkle it there. And then later on in, in the tabernacle and temple, it would be sprinkled against the altar, and, and you would take this plant and dip it in the blood and sprinkle the blood. And it was a, uh, it was a, 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 a figurative way of saying the blood is going to make atonement. The blood is a covering for my sins, and it has the idea, it's a really neat idea of descending or unsinning. <laughs> descending or unsinning. I, I never, till I studied this, I never even thought of that concept before. But it's as if I had descended, David said. It's as if I had unsinned. How can you undo it? Someone says, if you if you gossip and slander someone, it's like taking a feather pillow and getting in the back of a pickup, ripping the feather pillow, driving down the freeway, and, and, and all of the feathers get gone. And then at the end, when there's no more feathers in the pillowcase, then you go back and try to pick up all the feathers again. That's what gossip does. It goes, and you can't ever take it back. But guess what? There's a way we can descend. There's a way we can unsin, and it's through the shed blood. Of Jesus Christ is through the blood that's applied figuratively with the hyssop. And when we do that, we shall be whiter than snow. And we're talking about the purity of the soul, obviously. We're talking about the purity of the soul. What is whiter than snow? Only that which is washed throughout. Only that which is not just the surface, but washed all the way to the very, to the very innermost part of the being. Cleansed to the soul throughout. A translator problem here is in places where they don't have snow, how do they convey this to people? And they've said things like, whiter than the meat of a coconut. Yeah. And they've said the whitest white there is, different things like that to convey in tropical countries where they don't know snow and in tribes where they've never seen pictures even of snow. It's, it's you become pure through the application of the blood. And then he says, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. Now, that's interesting. Has anyone here ever had a broken bone? Let me see your hands. You had a broken bone? Was that fun? I just, I was talking to a lady yesterday. Her son uh, works with uh, ice and uh, he was in the Marine Corps, and, and while in the Marine Corps, he broke his ankle, and the, it was a compound fracture, and the bone actually came through his boot. You can imagine that. Thank you, preacher, for that picture. We appreciate that. That maybe will enable you to walk by the donut table without grabbing one, huh? Uh, he, says, he says, the bones which you have broken. I don't know if David literally had any broken bones over this. I, I don't know that that was the case, but he's addressing the one who he said broke my bones, and there's considerable pain with broken bones. I'm sure you all can attest to that. And the, and the one that's qualified to reset the bones was the great physician. And guess what? There is pain in resetting the bone. In manipulating that compound fracture, there's pain to reset it. But if you don't, it won't be usable, or at least it won't be usable in the right way. And so you have to reset it. And that's a painful thing. That limb can be used again. He said, I want to again have joy. I want to again wake up 
guilt-free. I want to, again, be able to be lighthearted. I don't want to be burdened down. I don't want to feel like, uh, like the traveler in Pilgrim's Progress with a pack on his back that has him bowed down because he can't stand erect because of the weight of his sins. He, said, he says, hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. In other words, close your eyes to my sins. Don't even look upon them. Contrast that with verse 3 where David said, my sin is ever before me. He says to God, close your eyes to my sin. You see, if we see them and confess them, he will hide them behind his back. In fact, the Bible says he'll, he'll remove our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. Like the old preacher said, he'll put them in the depths of the deepest sea and put up a sign saying, no fishing. And the God who is infinite and knows everything will say, I will remember them no more. I will remember those sins no more. David said, they're always before me. I give them to you. God says, I'll put them behind my back and I won't see them anymore. If we remember and repent, he will forgive and forget. And then David said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and a new, a renew a right spirit within me. God, uh, David is thankful for a creator God, the creator of heaven and earth, out of nothingness, the creator of People who have been flawed and are flawed who then become as if they weren't. They're new creatures in Christ. The creator of the new heavens and the earth one of these days. The creator of a clean heart and and a right spirit out of nothing again. The old is dead, rotten and gone, and he creates it out of nothing. He, because of his shed blood, he, because of his pain, he makes it possible for us to unsin and descend. Then he says... Verse 11, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with your free spirit. You know what David's literally saying here? Don't throw me aside as you would cast a corpse aside, a a, a dead body aside. Don't do that to me. Uh, He's not talking of losing his salvation because once we are in God's family, we're always part of God's family. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and chastens. He's not talking of losing his, he's he's begging for the restoration of the joy he had when he got saved. Uh, God God didn't take David's joy, by the way. David gave it away when he sinned. Uphold me, he says. Uphold me. And that's what I say to God. Uphold me, help me, God. Am I so long saved? I've been saved since I was eight years old. Am I so long saved that I won't succumb to sin? No, I'm very vulnerable. Let me not be enslaved by my sinful passions, but rather uphold me with your free spirit. Point four, promise of future service. This might be kind of a, a veiled promise here, but watch it in, beginning in verse 13. Then will I teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted unto you. Now, something's going to have to change in David's life for him to be able to say, I'm going to be able to be used of you again. I'm going to teach people because of my failure. I'm going to teach them what they ought to do because I went through what I shouldn't have done, and I know the price tag now, and I'm going to tell people. I'm going to share my testimony. I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. And our duty is to teach others from our failures and our scars as well as our successes. The Apostle Peter felt like a failure, I'll bet you. He had denied Christ three times before the rooster crowed the second time. Just hours before, he says, I will die with you if necessary. 
I won't let anybody hurt you. In fact, I, he took out his sword and he whacked off the ear of one of the, of one of the people who came to arrest Jesus. He said, well, why would he whack off the ear? Because he was a bad aim. He was trying to split his skull wide open. He wasn't trying to cut his ear off, trim his toenails. He, he was trying to kill that guy. Just hours before, he had promised. He told Savior, don't say that. They'll not kill you. And, and Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. You don't understand. And, 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 I, and what I don't understand is, he, is Jesus had been telling them several times in the last few days, especially that he was going to have to die and be buried, and he would come back again, and they didn't get it. Well, Peter, you denied Christ three times. I know. You're not worthy to be a disciple. I know. You're a Christ denier. Yes. You going to give up? No. I'm going to preach on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people are going to get saved. (laughs) Because Peter realized his sinfulness, confessed it to God, and made it right, and God used him again. God can use you again. Don't believe the lie of the devil because you've messed up, because you've failed, because you've fallen. You can't be used of God anymore. Yes, you can. I won't tell you who. I won't tell you who. We had a funny conversation this morning with somebody. Said, man, I can't. I, I said to this person, I can't believe every week how many visitors we have. It's just, do we screen those visitors? I said, no, and it's a good thing because you and I wouldn't have made it if they'd have done that. Thank God the church is a hospital for broken people and not a museum for showpieces and perfect people because I wouldn't have been let in the front door if that was the case. Our duties to teach others like the Apostle Peter he says here, when you are converted, confirm your brothers. And that's what he did. That's what Peter did. Deliver me from broad guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. And Latin diem salutus, the God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness, O Lord. Open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Literally, he's saying, deliver me from my sentence of death. Because that's what sin is, which I fully deserve. He was admitting that. In addition, forgive me for having an innocent man put to death to cover my sin. That's what he was admitting to right here. And then David says, for you don't desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You delight not in burnt offerings. And you might say, what? No sacrifice? Can I share something with you about Mosaic law in regard to adultery? Here's what God thinks of it. Under Mosaic law, There was no sacrifice for murder or adultery. The penalty was death. Check it out. The penalty for adultery and murder was death. We are desperate for God's mercy and grace because there is no other remedy the sacrifices of God are what? A, contri- a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. Broken, sorrow for sin, contrite, ground to powder as a, as a mortar and pestle, grinding something to powder. We have to be ground sometime. That's why it took David a little while 
to confess his sin and admit his need. The last point, verses 18 and 19, petition for restoration. Do good in your pleasure unto Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem, then shall you be blessed with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offerings. Then shall they offer bullocks upon your altar. And the summation of the whole matter here is in thy good pleasure. This is what counts in his time, in his way, his will be done. Holy obedience, gratitude, restoration, confession. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Put yourself on God's altar today. How many of us, if we were totally honest today, let's say, preacher, you know what? I really, I'm really not very happy where I am right now. I'm not at a happy spot. My joy doesn't seem to be what it should be. It's not what it was when I first got saved. It's not where where it's been when I walked with God, when I was in his word, when I spent time praying, when I when I was living the way God wanted me to live, I'm not in the same place I was, preacher. Then to you I say, the invitation is open. The opportunity, without having Nathan come and point his finger in your face, is here. And that is to make things right with a holy God who is the only remedy for our sinfulness. We can descend. We can unsin through the shed blood of the Lamb of God. Would you bow your heads, please? Let me ask you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you, would you right where you are, head bowed, would you confess to God something that you know is in your life that shouldn't be there because he's let you know that? Would you repent of that sin right now? Would you tell God, Lord, I Forgive me of this. Forgive me of this sin. Forgive me for yielding to this temptation. Would you do it right now? He's listening. Would you beg God for mercy? According to thy tender mercies, thy loving kindness, I don't deserve it, Lord. I can't earn it. But I ask you, I beg you for it. Would you ask to be cleansed right now? Not just washed superficially as with a washcloth or a shower or a bath, but to the very core of your being. Lord, would you bleach me clean? Would you make me as if I were without sin? Would you ask him right now to restore the joy of your salvation? And last of all, would you ask him to help you to be able to serve him again to serve him again in whatever way he sees fit sharing with other people your failures to encourage them and help them sharing with other people your victories in order to lead them to a closer walk with God what is it you need to do today don't leave today without taking care of business with God or else the message has been pointless to you Father I pray that you who know our hearts would look inside of them today you who know what sins 
are still remaining, what things we've not confessed, what things we try to push down to the back and push away from it, but they come up in the morning, they come up during the day, they come up at night. God, I pray that you would wash us and cleanse us and that we would confess our sin to you and you would not only forgive us, but cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Help us today, Lord. We're a needy people. This is a needy country. We're a nation steeped in sin. We're a world overwhelmed by sin. God, help each one of us to do what we ought to do today, to make things right with you today. And if there's someone who needs to be saved today, may this be the day they come to receive Christ. If there's someone who needs to rededicate their heart and their life to the Lord, may this be the day they do it. If they need to join the church or to be baptized, Lord, I pray that this is the day they would say, I I, I want that. I want to be saved. I want to be baptized. I want to join the church. God, help us to be fully obedient to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing a verse, maybe two. We're not going to sing 15 verses, okay? We're going to sing a verse, maybe two. So whatever it is God's laid upon your heart, you need to do it. You don't have to tell me your sins. I'm not your mediator. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Tell him your sins. But if you need to come and say, preacher, today I repented of some sin. Today I made things right. Today I want to do this so that you come ahead and we'll meet with you and we'll pray with you right down here. So come on as we sing one, maybe two verses.